0: This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. With millennials being the greatest number of people on the in the United States right now, we are seeing the shift in who are becoming the key decision makers. And it means that the mindset of this group of people— of, Having uh, is going to change what we know about leadership. A new report from the conference board looks at some of the similarities and differences to leaders from the baby boomer generation and where that will take us in the years to come. Joining us to discuss this report, we're joined by former Aetna CEO Ron Williams, who's now the CEO of RW2 Consulting, and also by Rebecca Ray, who's executive vice president of the Knowledge Organization uh, and also with the conference board. Great to have you both on the show, Ron. Rebecca, great to have you joining us. It's a Great pleasure. To be here. Thank you. I guess, Rebecca, this does seem like it is the right time to do research like this, right?
1: You know, I think so. Uh, there's been uh, quite a bit of research uh, around millennials in general and unfortunately quite a bit of uh, popular headlines that uh, we found in our research don't necessarily uh, ring true. Uh, but there has been less that's research based around millennial leaders themselves. And so when Ron Williams brought forth this opportunity to explore this, um, well, we just jumped at it. We just thought it would be a, a great area to explore because they truly will inherit, uh, you know, the, the next generation of leadership.
0: So, Ron, what was it that you saw that that made you want to make this pitch? Well, I do a lot of
2: coaching with C-suite executives, uh, and I also do a lot of speaking to leadership groups and companies, many of which have a lot of millennials. And I was struck by the contrast in the expectations of the skills, experiences, and attributes that CEOs indicated they wanted to see in the next generation of leaders. And when I talked to that next generation of millennial leaders, they had a very different point of view. So it seemed to me that there needed to be some high-quality work done to really try to answer some important questions about talent development.
0: So how much are you seeing this... The, the, the switch in terms of the leadership of, of some of the companies that are out there right now? Ron?
2: Well, I, yes, I think that uh, it depends a lot on the industry. In uh, technology industries, there are a lot of companies that have CEOs who actually are millennials themselves and right. members of the C-suite. In more established industries, they typically are two jobs, sometimes three, away from the C-suite itself. So what that means is in the next three years most of them will be within one or two jobs of the c-suite it
0: it is interesting rebecca that uh, as you mentioned a moment ago that this research is about millennial leaders specifically that group and and not more so millennials in general why the why the distinction
1: well i think it's an area of uh, passion for for ron it's also something that uh uh, that we're passionate around, too. I personally, having been a practitioner for a lot of years, uh, leading leadership development programs at some terrific companies, it's it certainly is a passion of mine. But I think when we looked at the uh, at the literature, there were a couple of uh, seminal uh, research projects that we thought were, were well done. And we thought, you know, rather than uh, duplicate their great work, uh, we would try to build on that. I think one of the ones that we particularly found helpful was that of Jennifer Deal and Alec Levinson, for the co-authors of What Millennials Want from Work, uh, which came out uh, last year. Right. Uh, very well done, very large scale, very global in nature, and really helped us, uh, as well as a couple of other uh, seminal reports, kind of think through uh, how we would approach this project. But we felt it was important to sort of go where there was less traffic, if you will, to, to carve a new path, and there's very little, uh, comparatively speaking, simply about millennial leaders.
0: We are uh, joined on the phone by uh, Rebecca Ray, uh, who is executive vice president of the Knowledge Organization, and also by Ron Williams, who's a former Aetna CEO. We're talking about the uh, research done between Ron and the conference board about millennials and leadership. Your comments are welcome at 844 Wharton 844 844-942-7866. Or if you're not able to get to your phone, you're more than welcome to send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio, B-I-Z Radio, B-I-Z Radio 111 or you can use my Twitter account which is at Dan Loney 21. Uh, Ron, I, I guess part of this w- which is interesting it, they dig into uh lifespan of a of a millennial leader. obviously part of it is the, the fact that I guess the the length of time that a millennial leader is looking to be in a spot is not as short as a lot of people may have actually assumed, correct? No,
2: it's not. I think we were struck by a couple of important observations, one of which is they expected that uh, they would remain with their employer. When you looked at the percentage that expected to remain over 10 years, it was approximately 48% or so. And if you think about the kind of popular press about job hopping and lack of engagement, uh it really was surprising to see that the numbers were as high as they were at least to me i think that there is another side of that equation that these are leaders And that retention is based on the fact that the company has demonstrated their commitment to them by developing them and giving them promotional opportunities.
0: But I guess it would also be a little bit tricky, going on a comment you made before, is that some of these people may may not be at the leadership level yet, but they may be within one step of that. So I would think that, that those people, to a degree, while it may not necessarily be in this reporting, are are almost in that same kind of uh, kind of boat in the fact that they understand that they may be very close to being in that type of a position.
2: Well, I think one of the things that the study looked at was millennial leaders, and, and maybe, yeah. Rebecca, you could comment on that.
1: Sure, and you know, I think to Ron's point, uh, there has been some, uh, some very good uh, opportunities that have been afforded, at least among the, the folks with whom we spoke, and they felt as though they were progressing at a, at a, at a pretty good, uh, pretty good rate. I think also what came from the study is that in their f- earlier years they expected to move more quickly, and that they right. had an understanding that as they moved through the corporate ranks, uh, that these promotions would come at a uh, with, with longer tenure at each at each uh, step.
0: I would think, Ron, and not specifically on this report, and Rebecca, you can as well, but if you're having millennial leaders uh, that are, you know, at, at that type of volume that are looking to be in a position, you know, 10, 15, 20 years, whatever that number might be, that has an, an economic impact in other areas as well something like real estate, because, you know, real estate has kind of been an up and down uh, piece to the economy over the last few years. That could have a benefit for for the real estate industry as well.
2: Well, well I think I, I think it's so. possible. Yeah. I, yeah. I think one of the things that we found, we had a lot of assumptions uh, that we were uh, interested in validating or invalidating. And I think one of the the things we learned is that a lot of the differences uh, that are talked about come from life stage, not so much generational differences, okay. and that was really an important fact. What that may mean is that whether it's housing or starting a family or even ge- or getting married, a lot of these things may perhaps come later. To this generation, not that they won't
0: come. I guess also, Rebecca, it does it does go to with the similarities that you lay out in in the reporting, and we can get into those as well. Uh, is the fact that you know the, these people are are having similar mindset to some of the older CEOs? That's it, not truly the break that uh, that maybe a lot of people uh, have been expecting.
1: I do think that there are some uh, in very interesting instances where CEOs, at least those in this study, and the millennial leaders that we surveyed uh, seem to be uh, sharing an awful lot of viewpoints about things. There are a couple of uh, key areas, and perhaps we can we can spend a few moments uh, talking about some of the differences, but more like than not, and to Ron's point, uh, more attributable to life stage. The one thing I might mention also is that Uh, while they're going to make choices that make sense for them as they move through the process, this is a generation that came into the workplace uh, at a time when it was difficult to make as much money as, comparatively speaking, as earlier generations had. And so they will always look to try to close that gap. And they're also much more, generally speaking, uh, saddled with uh, school uh, debt. And so for them, starting a family, buying a home, these are choices that may be delayed simply because they need to play catch-up for a little while. And so uh, I, I do think that, you know, again, it's it's life-stage, not uh, not generational differences.
0: One of the differences which you mentioned, which I, I found interesting, Rebecca, is the fact that um, the, the millennial leaders don't necessarily like kind of that open workspace, which has kind of become a fad <laughs> in the last few years, which I, I find interesting because that seemingly really happened because of the millennial generation.
1: You know, I think... Uh, There are differing views as to whether or not folks would find that effective. Uh, CEOs, generally speaking, uh, thought that that was uh, a more important element of workforce design than did millennials. And in fact, millennials and non-millennial leaders, regardless of of generation, uh, were less enamored of that open floor plan. And they were also less enamored of the lower, uh, flatter organizational structures. I think what they all wanted, uh, and in both cases, millennial leaders and non-millennial leaders ranked it higher uh, than did CEOs. What they want is flexible policies for vacation and work schedules, and then want flexible options for working remotely and collaborating virtually. So it's less about what does the workplace look like when they get there it's more
0: about how do they work and where do they work. Ron, Ron I'll bring you in on the, on the workforce uh, uh, the uh, uh, the flexibility issue for a second because uh, that's something that's kind of been a back and forth with companies. Uh, some companies are, are very understanding about flexible work and, and, and where you can be. And other companies have, have tried it and seen that it hasn't worked. So I guess to a degree with your experiences uh, uh, with uh, running Aetna, it, it has to be almost on a case by case basis, correct?
2: Well, I think, uh, one, employees really do value it, and it's particularly attractive to working mothers who uh, value the flexibility. And what uh, I found when I was running Aetna was that uh, it, it really contributed significantly to retention. It con- right. contributed significantly to employee engagement. There is a uh, kind of balance you have to find between what positions, what parts of the organization can work remotely, and what really need to work together in certain spaces. And so like most things, it's not all or nothing. It's really figuring out how to use it, and also how to build the systems For example, as messaging came online, people can message each other regularly, no matter where they are, and have the conversation, or then switch to the telephone. So I think it can be used very, very effectively, wisely in certain situations, certain types of jobs, and certain levels in the organization. I do want to come back to this open office question, yeah. because I, it's one I've done some informal uh, questioning. And, and if we think about it, it really came out of the technology businesses, particularly on yep. the West Coast. that tended to have more informal and collegial environments. The big difference is those are software development companies who are getting the user of the software and the developer in the same space iterating back and forth in an agile development kind of way uh, really contributes lots of value. That's very different than other types of industries where people sometimes need to put their head down and actually concentrate on what they're doing.
0: We're joined uh, on the phone by uh, Ron Williams, CEO of RW2 Consulting, former CEO of Aetna, Rebecca Ray, uh, joining us as well. Your comments welcome at 844 Wharton 844 844-942-7866. One of the areas, Rebecca, I wanted to delve into was values, which obviously is is something that uh, uh, a lot of millennials believe is very important, which I, I guess to a degree is not really a surprise that that values are an important piece to this.
1: I, I think that's right, although I would say that uh, values have probably been uh, important in every generation, right? But I yeah. think, I think the, the difference here might be that these millennial leaders are perhaps more likely uh, to walk uh, to another situation where they feel that the values are more aligned uh, with who they are and what they want to accomplish. And what we heard uh, pretty consistently uh, was that these folks uh, w- want to have an impact, they want to work for a company where their values are, are fairly aligned, and that's very, very important to them, uh, as well as uh, you know other things that all of us would look to make sure that it's a respectful workplace and they're fairly compensated and treated with respect, that sort of thing. You know, when we looked at some of the uh, some of the values and we asked millennial leaders uh, at uh, either early or late career stages, as well as non-millennial leaders at earlier or later career stages, as well as CEOs, pretty much across the board, all of them ranked as their number one. Uh, ideas, technology, and rational problem solving. And I think they were very aligned that there's a purpose uh, to the company, and when the company does well. It provides opportunities for communities and for uh, its employees. Uh, I think it was kind of interesting to us to see uh, that competition and achievement and worldly success was rated higher uh, by millennials than it was by the non millennial leaders as mm. well as CEOs. So it kind of, you know, deflates the myth a little bit about. Uh, millennials not being, uh, you know, achievement oriented. I think they are very goal driven.
0: Well, I I find that interesting as well because uh, it it's not necessarily I think that that they are not achievement oriented. It's just as we've kind of alluded to, it's where you want to have that level of achievement and, and having the the kind of the pick and choose idea, Ron, that that seemingly a lot of these these younger people are looking for.
2: Well, I think that's true. I think that uh, there is uh, sometimes a, a willingness to look for that alignment. And I think we always have to come back to the millennial cohort we're looking at is a cohort where there's been a kind of commitment by the company and demonstrated results by the millennial. And so that creates a platform for uh... forward growth forward evolution and and they continue to be there because they believe they're in a company that meets their uh... ethical beliefs uh... and it, it is a company that has a c- good mission and uh, good values
0: Ron Williams uh, joining us, as well as Rebecca Ray. Your comments welcome at 844 Wharton 844 844-942-7866. We're talking about uh, reporting done by the conference board about millennials and leadership, 844-942-7866. Ron, with with this type of data bringing this forward, and and again, your experience uh, with Aetna, what kind of impact d- does this specific data really have on the structure of a company, but also the mindset of the company?
2: Well, I think it's a very important uh, study. One of the things that boards of directors and major companies spend a lot of time on is talent management and talent succession. The board is the one entity that uh, is around past any one individual CEO. And the question boards ask themselves isn't where the next CEO will come from, but where will the one after that come from. And so looking deep into the organization and trying to be certain that the company is attracting and retaining and addressing the needs of high potential talent that can be a real competitive advantage in the future is extremely important. So the implication is that, that companies will begin to think about their development programs, their employee relations policies to be attractive and to move this generation through the chairs to get them ready for the C-suite opportunity.
0: That's that's what I was going to add in. It's just the, the, the fact that it, you could have the potential of change with just the mindset of HR uh, for a company, that ends up being, as we've mentioned on, on this show many times, is, is the fact that HR can be a very important piece, especially when you're talking about retainment of employees and the cost savings that can be there for a lot of companies by being effective in doing that, Ron.
2: Absolutely, but this is really the the province of the CEO and the senior management and the board in terms of creating an organization and a culture and workplace policies and recognition reward development that is attractive and rewards the kind of talent that's going to be necessary in the future.
0: What are some of the reactions, Rebecca, that that I, I would imagine with this data being relatively new, what are some of the reactions that you're getting already, I would think, because some of this data, as we've said, it kind of falls right in line, but some of this data is almost a 180 from what the expectations are.
1: Well, yes. And, you know, we're just in the process now of being able to share this either in forums uh, like this one today, for which is, you know, a wonderful opportunity, but also in public briefings. And uh, the companies with whom we have shared the data, we have heard back from them that even when they looked at their aggregate data, not even the uh, company-specific reports which are being, you know, uh, delivered now, uh, they are saying that they uh, see themselves in this and that much of this uh, begins to ring true. I will say that to Ron's point, you know, when you're looking at where's the next CEO coming from a couple of generations away, um, it is an important um, responsibility of the board. I think also for those of us who've been in the talent management space, thinking about the ways in which the most effective ways to develop leaders uh, can be proven, and that's through rotational programs for the most part, through coaching, and and certainly some formal programs. But those rotational, the developmental opportunities are the ones that are most effective. And quite often uh, not leveraged to the extent that they could be, as well as internal coaching. And um, you know some of these uh, younger uh, leaders are absolutely hungry for more time with senior leaders, um, and they want access. And part yeah. of the the myth about the millennials is that everything's technology, and you know, can they have a performance review in one hundred and forty characters? Yeah. Well, the short answer is, of course you can, but I'm not sure how valuable that is. You know, they want to leverage technology to get things done faster and better, uh, but they still crave a lot of face-to-face time, a lot of, you know, soaking up the wisdom of other folks, because one in 20, and you know, this was an informal thing that we asked in focus groups, how many aspired to be a CEO? And about one in 20, said to be one in, in five said that they'd be interested in being becoming a CEO. And some of the CEO, uh, excuse me, the millennial leaders with whom we spoke, had huge responsibilities and yeah. some really intense opportunities uh, responsibilities that they have now and if that's any harbinger of who these folks are when they get to the top positions.
0: We're going to be in good shape. Before, uh, before I let you go, Ron, I, I, with your background at Aetna, I did want to uh, quickly shift for a second and, and uh, get your opinion on some of the things that have been ma- making news, especially with the the idea of uh, re- repeal and replace uh, with the healthcare system here in the United States, and obviously a, a shifting marketplace right now in, in that area with uh, some insurers uh, not, you know, deciding that they it's not profitable in so many states. How are how are you reacting to this and and obviously having been in this sector before
2: well i was uh very actively involved in the passage of the aca i spent a lot of time in congress speaking to senators and members of, of congress and the president and i actually have a signed copy of the bill on my uh, on my wall i think the it's clear that the bill has to change the program has to change and i think i try to avoid the rhetoric of repeal replace right there are many consumer friendly elements that are going to stay no matter what happens the other thing that's important to keep in focus is very little will happen between now and twenty twenty that we do have a commitment from the president that he's interested in being certain that the people who are in the program now are not adversely impacted by the changes and so i think there's going to be a lot of uh... anxiety a lot of turmoil and i think a lot of education that's happening in in congress but i'm hopeful that at the end of the day we will move toward a more sustainable system of financing it at the end of the day i believe we have a moral obligation to make certain citizens have access to health care it has to be paid for And I think one of the big questions is simply, how do we pay for it?
0: Great to have you both on the show. Thank you very much. Uh, Rebecca, thank you, Ron. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Ron Williams, uh, CEO of RW2 Consulting, Rebecca Ray uh, from uh, the conference board, joining us here on the show. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.